0: Good morning. Good to see you here this morning. I'm glad you're here. I'd like to give you a question to think about as we begin. What would it be like to raise a perfect child? Some of you parents would like to find out. I know that's the case. Let me give that a shot. Um, Just for one day, we'd like to do that. Um, If you're not a parent... You've likely done some babysitting or been around kids, and you know uh, that would be an amazing thing. And you you might really not know what it would like to would be like to encounter a, a perfect child. For me, I, as I thought through this answer that I just the, to the question I just asked you ahead of time, uh, there were several times I needed to ask my kids to forgive me for a harsh attitude. I had to I had to take ownership for a, a mistake and judgment I made, and what what would it be like to ask a perfect kid to forgive you for something like <laughs> that? Woo! Um, anyway, the answer to that question is embedded in a story we're going to look at from Jesus' life. There is only one mom in the history of all mankind that has ever raised a perfect child, Mary. Mary wasn't perfect herself, but her son Jesus was. Uh, in this passage, he, 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 even, even though Jesus was perfect, what we're going to find is uh, that there was a very normal relationship, mother-to-son relationship, that, that existed between Mary and Jesus, and we're going to see this dynamic in a conversation between them. We find the story from Jesus' life in John 2. John is one of the biographies of Jesus' life and ministry. It was written by the Apostle John, whom many consider to be Jesus' closest friend. He was at least in the top three uh, of Jesus' closest friends. John 2, 1 through 11 says, On the third day... A wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and the disciples had also been invited to the wedding. They were there. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to, them, to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus responded. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now, I find this fascinating. We'll get into this in a little bit. But nearby though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you save the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. They believed in him. Now, when I was younger and I read this story, I, I grew up in church, and so I read this story at a very young age, and I wondered, why in the world would Jesus pick to do this miracle to do at a wedding in Cana? Why, why would he turn water into wine and do that? So we're going to talk about that this morning. We're we're gonna. I've since I was in Sunday school, I've I've figured out some things. So we're going to talk about it this morning. Um, I'd like to highlight the back and forth in the conversation between Jesus and his mother, which is really interesting to me because it seems so normal and it was normal. This is kind of the way it goes. In this event from Jesus' life, we see that encounters with Christ move me to trust him more. This is what we see. There's a real need that arises. John 2.3 says the wine was gone. And Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Jesus, his mom, and his disciples, they're at this wedding. And the host of the reception, which was the bridegroom, the way it was in those days, the groom was responsible to cover the the wedding reception. Uh, The host of the reception, they run out of wine. Mary becomes aware of the need, and she asks Jesus to meet it. Now, this seems like a very trivial thing. Hey, we ran out of wine here. They ran out of wine. Uh... Could you help us out? (laughs) Could you do this? But the need was much deeper uh, than just wanting more wine so the party can can continue. Uh, The groom, particularly, is in a very tough spot. Because he's the one that was responsible to throw the reception and now this embarrassing thing has happened. They have run out. He did not have enough for his guests. That is, that's a tough spot. That's, that's embarrassing. In, in those days, the groom, sometimes his family would cover the cost of the wedding. Uh, this, this would call into question the groom's ability to take care of the bride, to provide And I guarantee you, at least his future, his father-in-law was wondering (laughs) whether or not he could take care of his bride. So here's Jesus' response. Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Now, doesn't this seem like a typical response uh, from a son to his mother? It sounds like he's saying... What do you want me to do about it? Uh, but that's not the case. That's not really what's going on here. This wasn't a disrespectful retort. This, this was just a response. Like, so, yes, that's true. It was a hint. Moms tend to hint. And sons tend to... Either if they get the hint, they either pretend they don't, or they just like, hey, I, I don't want to do that. You know, that's, that's not what I want to do. But really, that's not what's going on exactly on Jesus' side of things. On Mary's side, looks like it was. Mary makes this request because she knew who Jesus was. She, she knew he was the Son of God. She knew that from before he was born because an angel appeared to her and explained what was about to happen, and so she she realized that. And besides that, she raised a perfect kid, <laughs> and and can you imagine what that would be like? I mean, she, she he was perfect, not like the other kids, and so she she knew. That he could do something about this predicament that the groom was in. Jesus also knows it 's almost time to start his ministry he 's about thirty years old when this happens, but he 's not sure now is the time he 's just not sure this is the time His mom Mary, thinks it's time, but he 's not quite sure now i'm i'm i 'm thinking the next thing he did was he he Shot a prayer to God, the father, and he asked him, Hey, is this time to do something about this? Is this time to start revealing my true identity? And that was confirmed. And so this is what he does. And his mother says, Do whatever he tells you. That's, that's also interesting because she's hinted, he's responded, And it's almost like she has a sense that now is the time to start showing who you are. And Jesus confirms it with God the Father. And so he does this. He asks the servants to fill up the water jars. They fill up the water jars. The water turns into wine. And John says this about the significance of the act in 2.11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs to reveal his glory, that revealed his glory. The disciples believed in him. They, they were just spending time with him. They were getting around him. They were just, this this. what it did was it moved them to trust him more. That's what encounters with Jesus do. When we encounter Jesus, we're moved to trust him more. Jesus gives some instructions to the servant. The water turns into wine as they do what he tells them to do, his first miraculous sign. And it's interesting. John's biography was written for a specific purpose. It was written to help people know Jesus Christ's real identity. And so, as we get into the book of John, as we as we look into it, we can find out how how to to know Him, how how to really seek Him, and find out more about Him and how all of that works. Um, you gain some guidance on how to seek Him. So, in in doing what He did, Jesus showed an incredible amount of kindness. It wasn't just a magic trick that he was doing, that he was trying to show to the people around him. Not only did Jesus rescue the groom from total embarrassment, which was a kindness. But this was enough wine to last for the rest of the celebration and beyond. Matt Frankel put this picture together. He was doing this, reading through this passage in his devotion, in his quiet time. One day, and um, I, I think he imagined what it would be like to be one of the servants. So he's got, you know, he's got the guy there with the staff. That's not Matt, but that's that's a guy. <laughs> and he he said six stone jars that would hold sixty gallon gallons each would weigh fifteen hundred pounds. So hopefully, before they filled them up with water, they took them where they needed to be. Uh, that would be that would be Difficult to move around once that escapes you. But anyway, you get a picture here in, in this picture. You get an idea of how many leftovers there would be. Six of these. Six 30 gallon containers that, of water that had been turned into wine and it was really choice wine. What, what a gift. For the bride and groom. This is, not only did Jesus show kindness and meet a need, but this is, this is quite a gift that he's given the bride and groom. This is an amazing act of grace. You know, in, in, in Sunday school, I was like, what, what's, what's the big deal? He turned the water into wine. You know, that's, that's interesting, but why did he do it? He did it as an act of grace. This is is how Jesus is. Jesus gave them far more than they deserved. That's grace. Every time I encounter Jesus, I experience grace. This is how it is with him. Now... Cindy and I went to Dubai at the end of July, um, and she's not here today. I'm about to show you a picture just because I really wanted to show you this. <laughs> and it sets the context for where we were a little bit and for what I want to use as an illustration. But anyway, we were there to prepare for a service trip, a mission trip, next next July, uh, for North Star grads from the North Star training program we have. Uh, and Cindy, we we had been in Dubai for about 10 days. She hadn't seen the Persian Gulf, so she really wanted to go see the Persian Gulf. The problem is, it's really hot out there. And so anyway, we're like, hey, it's her birthday. It was her 60th birthday, the Thursday before we came home on Saturday, and we ended up uh, going to see the Persian Gulf. And while we're getting out of the, the 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 cab and walking down and looking over the beach, there's a guy giving camel rides back and forth. And Cindy's like, can, can I get a camel ride? And he, here she is. It's her friend who put her on the camel, let her get, get a ride. She went about 50 yards up and back. But I'm showing you this. Because Dubai, first of all, Dubai is a fascinating place. Look at those buildings in the back. Then there's a camel in, in, the, in the front. And Cindy hops on it takes a ride. But back here behind us, this picture, this way is the Persian Gulf. The Gulf makes Dubai incredibly hot and humid. I mean, when you walk outside, I've never experienced this. When you walk outside, your clothes are immediately wet. That's not very comfortable. And I've never experienced anything quite like that. There's often a hot wind blowing, and your glasses immediately fog up. I mean, you walk outside, it doesn't matter what time of day or night it is, your glasses fog up. It is so humid and unpleasant. We would walk from the hotel to the metro station. We were staying, unfortunately, the metro station right by the hotel had broken down. So we had to take a little walk to the metro station and we would we would take this walk and we're we're sweating you know i mean immediately our clothes are damp our glasses are fogged up and when we walked into the air conditioning of the metro station whew, that was refreshing that was a cool breeze that hit us that's how it is when you experience an act of grace That's refreshing. And that's what happens every time you encounter Jesus Christ. Every time you turn to him and you honestly approach him with a sincere heart, you experience his grace. This is how it is. That's what an act of grace does. It refreshes you and gives you energy to keep moving on. This is what Jesus does. If you take your need to Jesus, you can expect to encounter his grace. Let's do a recap of the story. A need arises. It's brought to Jesus' attention. Jesus meets the need. He gives grace and and meets the need of those who ask for help and, and beyond. And it reveals his true identity. What he does is a sign of who he really is. Last week I talked about how to get past any obstacles you have to placing your trust in Christ. I, I mentioned that those who seek, seek God find him. Uh, a major step to getting past the barriers of faith is, is, to sh- is to seek God and ask him to show you he's real. If you're, if you're exploring what it means to follow Christ, I want to encourage you seek God and ask him To show you that he's real. Second Chronicles says, if you seek him, he will be found by you. If you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. It's our choice in this life. We get one life and we're able to choose. Are we going to seek God or are we going to forsake God? It's up to us. God allows us to choose. Often, it's our need that motivates us to seek God. When we turn to him for help, he, he responds by giving the grace we need to handle the situation. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't always fix the problem because often it has to do with the choices others are making. And there's, it's more complex than, okay, I'm just going to fix it for you. But he gives you the grace. Whew. The breath of fresh air that provides energy to do what he's asking you to do. This is, this is how it is. I, this is what I've experienced every time I've turned to him. I've experienced the grace of God. We meet God in the present, not in the past or in the future. We grow in our knowledge of him by inviting him into the here and now by what's going on in our lives right here. Right now. That's how you start in a relationship with God. And that's how you continue in a relationship with God. The ultimate need Jesus meets for us is forgiveness, of course. He He met that need on the cross. He, he, he took our place. He paid the penalty for our sin by dying on the cross. However, other needs in our life are what motivate us to seek him conflict in the family or with friends, struggles of those close to us, they're having struggles, it, it's its getting to us, we we, we want to seek him out to meet this need, financial difficulty, a threat of job loss, all, 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 many different kinds of needs draw us toward God. These kind of needs, they draw us to God and there's usually in them a mix of guilt and shame, you know, with the need. If it's conflict in family struggle with a friend or whatever it is, you know, threat of job loss. or like, well, I deserve to lose my job. I haven't done this perfectly. You know, so there's this there's this mix of guilt and shame and we end up beating ourselves up for the wrongdoing. And for poor judgment. But when we turn to God and honestly seek him, he gives grace every time. He pours it out. This is his way. I'm sure the bridegroom, if he knew about the problem with the wine running out, I'm sure he was beating himself up. Oh, no, I'm going to look. I'm, this is not going to look good. My father-in-law is not going to think I can take care of my wife. I, I, this. I'm sure he was beating himself up, but Jesus did a very gracious thing. This is His way. This is what He does. This is how He is. This is who He is. If you're here today, and you know you need God's forgiveness, and you've you've never turned around from going your own way to. To ask Him to forgive you and to give your life to follow Him as Christ. I want to encourage you to do that. I remember the very first time I did, I did that. I grew up in church, as I mentioned earlier, and I, we had pews in the church I grew up in. And I remember for, uh, at least a month or two, I, I had this Technicolor—that's what we used to call it in the old days. Technicolor. Sorry, I had this full view of how wrong and rebellious I'd been toward God. We used to call it being under conviction in the church I grew, which is a really good description because what what happens is God just sort of personalizes your need for forgiveness. And he draws it out. He he puts highlighter over all the things you've done wrong. And he, he just shows you that you need him. And that's sort of a stage you go through on your way to giving your life to Christ. Um, and you realize, I need to acknowledge, honestly, my sin before God. That's the first stage. You can respond to that. If you respond to that by turning to God and confessing your sin, you experience grace. The breath of fresh air. This This is how we come to know Jesus. This is how we come to get connected to God for the very first time. That's the process. So... That's what I've experienced. And I remember when I was under conviction the first time, how I was, I sort of had my back to God and I was trying to keep Him away from my life. And I was doing that because I, I was really afraid of what would happen if I turned around and faced God. And I was honest with God about, about my sin. About my wrongdoing. Because I knew he had every right in the world to blow me away with a hot wind. That's what I was a little concerned about. But you know what? When I turned around and I faced God, he, he poured mercy and grace into my heart and mind that I had not experienced in any other way. That's, that's how God is. That's, that's what God does. This is how it goes every time I seek him and ask for forgiveness. I confess to him. This is how it goes every time. Because the way I am, I'm a little stubborn. Sometimes i like, I got a little part of my life I want to shield from God. And I know I need to straighten it out. And I'm a little concerned about turning around. Is he going to be patient with me? What's going to happen? (sighs) The great comes every time I face him. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When I confess my sin to God, give my life to follow him as Lord or boss, he forgives. He meets this major need in my life, a restored relationship with God. If you're exploring what it means to follow Christ right now, I want to encourage you to take a need to God, the most pressing need in your life, and trust him to meet it in his way, in his time. This is a specific way to seek God. And that's how we start. We start by acknowledging our sin, admitting we're a sinner, and giving our life to follow him as Lord. That's also how you continue. Colossians 2 says, as you receive Christ as Lord, so, so live in him. So keep walking that way. Keep, keep living that way. Um, we have to keep turning to him to meet our needs. This is how we start in the faith. This is how we continue in the faith. <clears throat> Every time we turn to him, he gives grace and refreshes like a cool breeze. Hebrews four fifteen sixteen 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is, this is what we're told to do. We have needs weighing us down. We're to turn to God. We can go with confidence. As As you approach him, it's important to know what to expect him to do, how he's going to respond. This is really important. The story we read in John about Jesus and his mom is a very real picture of the fact that he knows and understands our weaknesses. He knows what it's like to be human. He he didn't experience our weaknesses, but he did experience our temptations firsthand. This should give us confidence to go to him with our needs, to keep seeking him, to keep going to him. This is how our, our hope grows. And when we approach him with our needs, he gives mercy, which is he doesn't give the punishment you deserve, and grace. He gives favor that you didn't earn. This is what God does. As you seek God at your point of need, he's going to reveal himself to you and ask him to help and show himself to you at your point of need, and he will. When we take our needs to God, he pours out grace, and his grace gives us the strength to do what he wants us to do if we keep trusting him to do it. There's another takeaway from this story. Last week I talked about Christ followers' role in building a bridge to help our friends and family get past their obstacles to faith in Christ. Uh, This is what I said. God uses changed lives as bridges to change lives. If you're a Christ follower who wants to be a bridge to help people want to seek God, then give grace the way that Jesus does. That's how you build bridges. Think about it. This is how... This is how we connect to God for the first time. This is how we keep connecting with God. Every time we take a need to him, he forgives. And then he wants us to take the grace we've received and hand it out to those we relate to every day. If you want to build bridges, this is how you connect to the people around you. You decide to be a gracious person. And pour out the grace to them. Uh, Who needs this kind of grace from you right now in your life? Maybe there's some people who hmm, are annoying you. They're irritating you. Not only that, they're offending you greatly. You are just, you you really want to just let them have it. Who needs this grace from you right now? Maybe your husband or wife. Might be someone at work. Might be a friend. Maybe one of your kids or someone else. You can show the same grace that God has shown you and be a source of refreshment. And in the process, build a bridge so that others might cross to get past their obstacles in knowing Christ. I'm going to wrap up. And as I wrap up, I'd like to encourage you to take a next step today. On the back side of the connection card, there are some next steps over on the left-hand side of the back. um, I want to encourage you to take one of these steps. If if God lays it on your heart to, if he's spoken to you this morning uh, about this, there may be some other steps that he's brought to mind that you could take, and I'd encourage you to Take whatever steps he's given you to take. Uh, but here, here's the first one. My next step today is to, for the first time, accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and commit my life to follow him as Lord. Maybe you've been exploring what it means to follow him. You're ready to do that today. Decide to do that. Let us know. We would love to help you and encourage you in your relationship with him. Another step... Uh, that you could take is to help with Launch 2.0 at Church in the Valley. This is, uh, this is our, we're in a time where we have grand opening coming up. We're going to do some special things for that. We're, we're in Ontario now. And uh, a, a way that you could help and take a next step this morning is to help with Launch 2.0 at Church in the Valley by playing a role on the team here, uh, by praying for neighbors Family and friends, those neighbors, Jesus defined neighbors as those right, right around you. Uh, by praying for our neighbors who don't attend church and by inviting my neighbors to attend uh, church with me. Those are some ways you can help with Launch 2.0. If you'd like to do that, let us know and, and we will, uh, we greatly appreciate it and we'll get in touch with you on that. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the grace that you pour out, the mercy and grace that you give every time we honestly turn to you. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you for just your, your kindness to us, to meet needs. As we seek you, as we seek your kingdom, put you first, You meet our needs. We praise you for that. We thank you. I pray that, God, you would give us strength to take the next steps that you've laid on our heart to take today. And that you'd be honored in our doing that. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.